you love your work? Do you think it's possible? Well, you're about to find out. It's time for 48 Days to the Work You Love with Dan Miller on the 48 Days Online Radio Show. Whether you need a professional tune-up or a work overhaul, this is the program for you. Now, here's your host, Dan Miller. Hey, we're taking care of business. You know I never get tired of that lead-in. I know sometimes people suggest to you, why don't you change that? People send me some really cool things, and I appreciate that. A lot of good ideas, but I just love hearing that. Taking care of business. You know, if I'm walking through a store somewhere or in a restaurant, I hear that old Bachman Turner Overdrive song come on. Taking care of business. It just reminds me, yeah, that's what we want to do. You know, we want to help people here live the life they would live if only they knew how. That's what it's all about. Your questions help stimulate my thinking together. We can unpack them and we can do exactly that. Hey, our partner sponsor today is audible.com. You've heard me talk about them a lot. I love what they provide in terms of audio books. Going to be giving you some great suggestions today about that. But if you go to audiblepodcast.com slash 48 days, you'll be able to choose a book absolutely free if you're not yet a member. And I'll be giving you again some specific suggestions in just a little bit here. Hey, our theme for today is you can't do this while smiling. I'm going to let you think on that a little bit. What is it that you cannot do while smiling? It may surprise you, but I got a quotation that'll tie in with that. A lot of things happened around here. Of course, we got the upcoming Ultimate Advantage Cruise in February. A lot of you have already signed up for that. We're going to have a blast. Of course, bringing along friends like Michael and Gail Hyatt. Rory and A.J. Vaden, of course, Joanna and I will be there, Chris and Rachel McCluskey. So we're going to have an absolute blast on that. Got a, got something cool that just came up. I was contacted by Success Magazine. Now, you've heard me talk about Success Magazine. You know, I think it's the one resource that everybody ought to have, and I don't care if you're an entrepreneur or if you're an employee or if you're a pastor or stay-at-home mom, teacher. I think you ought to have Success Magazine. It's full of positive inspiration, encouraging stories about what people are doing around the world. Anyway, they contacted me. They want to partner with us for the cruise. And so we, we welcome that. And that means that people who do attend the Ultimate Advantage Cruise are going to get free subscriptions to success. They're going to get uh, free physical copies of the current issue. Some other things we're putting together. We're going to have a lot of fun with that, but we're delighted to partner with success magazine uh, they're going to be promoting the cruise to their vast audience which we're excited about we'll have some things up on their website here in the next couple of days so join us if you have any interest at all jump on 48days.net check out the ultimate advantage cruise we'll be leaving february 15th from fort lauderdale to spend an amazing week together of course got friends of mine coming along like michael and gail hyatt and rory and aj baden and rachel and Chris McCluskey. So we're going to have a power packed week, both fun in the sun, great food, but also inspiration to launch your new year as well. Well, here's some of the questions we'll be talking about today. Dan, how can I find my real passion in life as a 44 year old single father? Dan, should I always be honest in the interview? Now there's an interesting question. Dan, am I too old to change careers? Do I have to be a jerk to get promoted? Well, great questions as always. We'll get to as many as we can. Here's our quotation for the day. Now, remember I said you can't do this while smiling. The quotation comes from David Schwartz. David Schwartz said, 
Try to feel defeated and smile big at the same time. You can't. A big smile gives you confidence and beats fear, rolls away worry, and defeats despondency. So there you go. You can't feel defeated and smile. You know, when I talk about the people who have clear goals, they smile. You know, when, when we look at the kind of things, that the, the negative emotions here, if it's fear or discouragement or anger, resentment, depression, guilt, all those things, those tell me that the person is looking at what's already happened. As soon as we get clear about what you're moving to, rather than focusing on what you're moving from, then we get boldness, enthusiasm, those, the confidence. Those are the kind of emotions that start to emerge when you're clear where you're going. And that puts a smile on your face. And the smile, along with all the other things, yeah, you cannot be defeated and smile big at the same time. So make sure you're smiling today. If you're worried, yeah, start smiling. The worry will dissipate, will be appear less important. Trust me. That quotation, incidentally, was written in 1959 when the little book, The Magic of Thinking Big, was published 55 years ago. But you know, that's the thing about important success principles. They're timeless. There's nothing that dates them. They don't get old. They're timeless. Now, speaking of that book, that's one of the ones that I want to reference you to. I, I want I want to reference you to two books today. Two, one that's brand new, right off the press, and one that's 55 years old. So the one that's 55 years old is that one, The Magic of Thinking Big by David Schwartz and published back in 1959. Great audio on that. Just those principles about how to walk faster, be a front seater, you know, do the things that build confidence. You can act your way into feeling confident, even if you're terrified, trembling in your boots. But get that, pick up that book and you can go to audiblepodcast.com slash 48 days. Put in the magic of thinking big. That'll pop right up. One of their classic standards there. Now, I had a question here from, from Michael who asked me, Dan, I, I'd like to know, what are your top 50 books you would tell someone to read? The ones that have influenced you the most. I've started the 30 minutes a day challenge, and this would help me find the right books to read and to listen to in my car and my travels. Thanks for all you do. Well, thanks for your question, Michael. Michael from uh, Wilmington, Delaware. Yeah, it's easy to find the books that I recommend. If you go to... It, there's a couple ways to do that. If you just send a blank email to reading at 48days.com, you'll get a message that takes you right to the link, right to my recommended reading list. So that's the easiest way to get it. Just a blank email to reading at 48days.com. Boom, you'll get an autoresponder. It takes you right to the list where I show the 50 books that I recommend. Now, not yet on the list, but a brand new book that I'm reading is one by Lisa Turkworst. Now you may recognize Lisa's name from Proverbs 31. She has a massive site, Proverbs 31. Her audience is women. Well, hey, I, I'm kind of a, I, I guess I'm a, not afraid to tap into my feminine side. Joanne tells everybody I like chick flicks and I do, but I follow people who are prominent in the social marketing world. And Lisa's certainly one of those players. But she's a delightful gal. She has a brand new book out titled The Best Yes, 
making wise decisions in the midst of endless demands. I heard her interviewed recently. I think it was my friend Jeff Goins who interviewed her. And I thought, well, I need to get the book. And I got it. I thought, well, I'll get it for Joanne and give it to her. But in the meantime, uh, I'm reading it myself before I'll give it to Joanne. Joanne's actually out of town for a few days with a friend in California. So I'm reading the book, The Best Yes. So that's another one that you can go to audiblepodcast.com slash 48 days and put in that. It's already up. It's brand new. I'm not even sure it's officially released yet, but The Best Yes, I'm about halfway through and actually enjoying it a lot. Well, let me move on here. Paul says, how can I find my real passion in life? I'm 44 years old and a single father. I've been working my job for about 10 years. I just want to do something that I would love and enjoy doing it. If you can help, God bless you. Well, Paul, you know, when when you're 44 years old, a single father, I mean, sometimes just the demands, the reality of life just kind of creeps in. You know, I talk to people a lot of times who have just become numb to their dreams They've forgotten what they really wanted to do. It seems like they just got caught up in doing what has to be done to be responsible, to provide for a home and children. Certainly, it seems like you got to just do what needs to be done. We hear that terminology a lot. Well, yes, we do. But that doesn't mean that we need to continue doing something that is not fulfilling at any point. And it doesn't matter if you're 18 or 68 or 88. It's healthy to draw a line in the sand and take a fresh look at who am I? Where am I going? How am I going to get there? That's what you need to do. Do that. Give yourself the leeway to do that. You don't need to burn any bridges. You don't need to quit your job. But you need to take a couple days to just really look at who you are. What do you know about yourself? How do you relate to other people? What kind of environments are you most comfortable in? Are you best when you're working with a lot of other people or when you're by yourself? Are you better when you're working on ideas and things or with people? Ask yourself those things. What are the areas of competence that you've developed over the years? What are the things that you're really good at that you not only are good at, but that you do enjoy doing? You know, it's not uncommon for people in different roles to recognize they've been required to do a lot of things. I mean, I worked with a pastor one time who had been a pastor for 19 years. He had never known anything but getting up, put on a suit and tie and go to work. And he did all those things that are expected of a past pastor. Well, then he, he lost his job. He got fired and another story there, but he was extremely depressed because of that. When I talked to him, I had to keep asking him to speak up because I couldn't hear him sitting right across from me in my office because he was so discouraged we started to unpack all the things that had been expected of him. You know, there's probably 20, 25 different things expected of a pastor these days in a church. Unrealistic, granted, but that's the way that it is. But we identified the two or three things that he really most enjoyed doing. And that was presenting on Sunday mornings, you know, encouraging, exhorting, persuading. Well, I said, you're a great candidate to be like a sales rep or a company. But I said, right now, I don't even think you're in shape to do that. We need something to kind of cleanse your spirit. So he actually drove a tractor and did bush hogging out in the field with no shirt on for a couple months. I thought it'd be maybe a few days that he ended up doing it a couple months because it was so cleansing and so encouraging for him to do that. So 
he finally got to the point where he could go back to doing just the things that he did. He did, in fact, get a position as an account rep for one of the major Christian publishers, is doing extremely well in that position. But that's what you have to do when you're in a position like this, Paul, is take a fresh look at what are the things that you really enjoy doing, not just what you've been forced to kind of get into as a means of being responsible. Give yourself that luxury. But then having done that, when you start to blend your strongest areas of competence, your skills and abilities, your personality tendencies, your values, dreams, passions. What are those things that just keep popping up where you think, oh man, I wish I could do that. Then we start to put those together in a pattern and look at what kind of work would in fact blend those together. You can do that. And then you can be in the driver's seat to do your own job search and your own transition. You know, sometimes we just think that, oh, it's not possible. You know, my son, Jared, who they're in the midst of a transition from Kenya, Africa to Florinopolis, Brazil. And a lot of their friends say, oh my gosh, that'd be awesome. You know, I wish I could do that. You know, others who are 35 years old, like Jared and I, Lee are, oh, I wish I could do that. Oh, that would be such a dream. You guys are so lucky. And Jared and I, Lee are looking at them, scratching their head like, what, what do you mean? What are you talking about? If you really want to do that, why don't you do it? What are the obstacles? What's keeping you from doing what we're doing? I mean, they don't have any magic ticket, magic carpet ride down there. They just decided that's a place they wanted to live. So they're just making plans to do it. But a lot of times we cut ourselves off from better possibilities, somehow thinking that the reality of life is preventing us from moving into our dream job or work that is really meaningful. No, it just means draw a line in the sand, create a clear plan and act on it. Robert from California says, Dan, I had an interview this past week. I was asked what my goals were. And I said, eventually I'd like to start and run my own business. Now the interviewee, well, actually the interviewer, it should be took issue with my response. He said, I want someone who wants a career with this company, not someone who wants to, you know, just move through and onto their own thing. Now this wasn't a deal breaker, but he mentioned that he needed to think about that. Should I have been so honest and say what I want to do or say whatever needs to be said to get the position? Golly, that's a great question. All right, here's the deal. You always need to be honest. However, <laughs> I mean, this is like, you know, when your wife asks you, does this dress make me look fat? Um, you have to watch how you frame honesty in that regard. And this is one of those questions. Now, I'll leave that one alone. You can unpack that as you will. But in this one, you can frame your ultimate goal differently. So let's say that you do ultimately want to have your own company. You could say, I want to continue developing and growing so I can provide more value for our customers. I mean, just think about that. I mean, if somebody asks you in an interview, you know, why'd you get fired from your last job? Well, you don't want to say, gee, my boss was an absolute idiot. You know, he didn't know, you know, how to come in out of the rain. You wouldn't say that even if you thought that was true and honest. You would say, you know, we just got to a place where it was obvious that our goals didn't match up anymore. I knew it was healthy for me to move on. They knew it. We decided to part ways. And I'm looking for a better opportunity that fits, you know, where I'm going at this point. So you can frame what you want to do by being totally honest, but not raising the red flag like this would, where you say, hey, I want to have my own company three years from now. Well, the clock is ticking. You make yourself, in essence, a lame duck employee 
right out of the gate. Lame duck, meaning, I mean, that's what we call like a president after November when the election has taken place. And we know he's no longer going to be in office in January. So in that interim, there is what we call a lame duck. If a company knows you're going to leave, it puts you in that category where they're not investing in you, not you know, expecting as much of you, not giving you as much responsibility. You don't want to go in with that being the initial kind of um, overview. So, yeah, don't set it up where, hey, I'm just here temporarily till I get on my feet and I'm going to go out on my own. Well, Joe asked, Dan, I've been reading your materials, listening to the 48 Days Online radio show for a couple of years. While coaching is a common topic on your show, I heard you mention the idea of coaching specialties. Can you elaborate on this? I have a teaching background and think coaching would be a good fit for future work, but I'm struggling to identify a coaching area of expertise. Well, you do need to specialize. I mean, I work with a lot of people who are getting into coaching. We are just coming up on our coaching mastery event, an annual event that we have. People are already registering for coaching with excellence events. And we've got three of those scheduled for 2015. Uh, those always fill up. Those are a lot of fun and yeah, we help people. But one of the first things that I do is encourage them to choose what is your specialty. You can't just be a generalist, gee, whatever it is that ails you, you know, I'm going to help you. Now that, that puts you in a weak position. You want to be known as the person who works. I mean, we've got a, a lady, Giovanna Ellison, who works with primarily African-American women between like 35 and 55 who have not yet discovered their best self. And they just want to tap into, you know, who could I possibly be if I were really excellent in what I'm doing? Well, you know, very specific. I mean, another lady, Arlene Rattan, she's a PhD, but she works with women 50 to 55 who are going through unexpected change, perhaps initiated by a divorce or a death of a spouse. So that's her focus. So, yeah, you want to be focused. Work with a gentleman yesterday and he wants to work with businessmen. And primarily that's going to be like 35 to 45. So we want to be that specific. Now, will he, if he does that, have somebody who's a recent college graduate come along? Sure, that'll happen. That's fine. But it still elevates your credibility by being focused where you become known as the expert in something rather than just a generalist. Great question. Bernadette. From New Mexico. Dan, I'd really appreciate your help with my question. I graduated at college from college at age 50 and became an elementary school teacher for the last 10 years. I'm very tired of this profession and I'd like to change. I've always been interested in real estate. My husband and I own two rental houses and I've always enjoyed managing them. I've thought about becoming a property manager for the last three or four years. Am I too old? Can you tell me more about this profession? I like the work I do with our own rentals, but mostly I would love being my own boss. And that's why I'd like to get some, get my real estate license and do this professionally. What do you think? Thanks for your time. Well, you graduated at age 50. You've been working for 10 years. So you're 60 years old. Are you too old? Absolutely not. I mean, very seldom is age the most important criteria in looking at something like this. The real key is, is this a fit for you? Now, here's the thing. You may be a better candidate to be a property manager now than you would have been 10 years ago or 20 years ago. I mean, when we talk about a career fit, there are a lot of things that you could not possibly even consider until you reach a certain age chronologically. You know, coaching is one of those. 
mean, I have a lot more credibility today than I would have had, you know, 20 years ago trying to position myself as a coach because you need some life experience to help people look at their own transitions that they're going through. So just simply look at it, not based on are you too old, but is this a good fit for you? Does it blend your passions, your talents? Is there a way to make money doing that? Now, it's interesting you're saying you're interested in being a property manager. Yeah, there's a big market for that. That simply means other people who own properties, you manage them. So you screen tenants that are coming in. You take care of issues that come up when there are repairs that need to be made. You oversee all that. And for doing that, you get a percentage of the rent collected. Very legitimate, very good model. Nothing wrong with that at all. However, when you say that you and your husband have a couple of properties yourself, I mean, you up the ante dramatically if it's properties that you own. I mean, if you're just being a property manager, you're going to get a little piece of what everybody else is doing with their investments, and that's okay. But if you really want to maximize the profitability, I would encourage you to get a couple more rentals, you know, get three or four more rentals, you and your husband, where you manage them and you get not only the ongoing cash flow from those, but you get the appreciation as well. And if you understand, you know, the market where you are, that ought to be very doable. This says, hello, Dan, I'm currently working at a company that I used to love. Recently, someone got promoted to a position that I feel they were not qualified for. I work 50 to 60 hours a week and I'm always praised for my work. When I approached the owners about the position, which was not posted anywhere, I was told I'm too nice to have that position. The person who got promoted steals time from the company and is very rude to our coworkers. I used to love what I did, but now I just go to work to earn a paycheck. And it didn't used to be that way. I've always been told that hard work pays off, but in my case, it seems in order to get ahead, I must be a jerk. Please help. I'm not that kind of person. This used to be the work that I love. Well, what an interesting positioning where you were actually told you're too nice to get that promotion. Now, we do a lot of work with the DISC personality profile. And there's a whole lot of implications from that, from understanding your DISC personality. But let me kind of segue from what you're talking about here. If you're too nice, you probably are a high S and that means somebody who is very methodical, they're very nurturing, understanding, good listener, loyal, brave, and true, certainly admirable characteristics, very admirable characteristics. But what we look for with that, I, I think I think a way to look at this is if it's overused, those characteristics can work against you. Meaning, can you be the disciplinarian if needed? Can you fire somebody if needed? See, they may be implying that you'd have a hard time with those kind of things. My wife, Joanne, is very high S. She's exactly what I just described. You know, she's very nurturing. Golly, she uh, mothers people. She loves on people, likes to have people's approval, you know, just... Golly, just a wonderful companion and the person you want to kind of person you want to be around. She had a very short stint as manager of a clothing store one time years and years ago. She thought, well, maybe she'd like to do something outside the home. And so she got a position, not hard to get hired. People love her as manager of a clothing store. 
she was blown away dealing with employees who showed up late for work you know who didn't come in at all who stole there's just all kinds of things going on that she didn't anticipate and with that when she recognized that somebody needed to be terminated she could not bring herself to terminate him you know it's like oh my gosh this person needs to pay their electric bill you know next week and i need to fire him what she do she reduced their hours till they couldn't afford to be there anymore so she just reduced their hours down to nothing and ultimately they leave rather than confronting the issue directly now i could see somebody telling her in a position of management you're too nice to have that position because that's exactly that's not an unrealistic way to put it at all what you have to look at is, do you want that kind of position? If so, you need to develop clear leadership skills. It doesn't mean you need to change who you are and become you know, harsh, become a jerk. No, but you need to show that you are able, if the situation requires it, to be very firm and direct, even if it feels like confrontation to you. So if you want to be in that kind of management position, yeah, you do need to have those skills. Again, not changing the core of who you are, but learning what does effective management require if you, in fact, are promoted into that position. Great question. All right, this comes from Eva, who says, Dan, I'm a 34-year-old mother of four boys, and I've been a stay-at-home mom for 10 years. It's been great, but I found a school that will allow me to go only once a week the rest I can do from home, to get my nutritionist certification. This has been a passion for many years, and I'm very excited, but I'm having a hard time letting go of the feeling that I wasted four years getting my bachelor's in English and art, that I'm still paying off the student loan debt. My BA was not required for this new school. Can you help me let go of this feeling? It's simply not helping my feel good about my decision and guilty. I'm feeling guilty for spending more money on education. There's nothing about English or art that I want to have much to do with. Thanks, Eva. Okay, now think about this. So somebody gets a degree and 10 years later, they realize they really aren't using that degree. Now, that, that's certainly not uncommon. I mean, we know that 80% of college graduates, 10 years after they graduate, are doing something totally unrelated to their college degree. But now we don't go back and just unplug and unwind the degree. The degree still is part of who they are. That Getting a bachelor's degree shows that you have the discipline to carry through on something. You know, it connects you with other people you probably would not have otherwise met. It opens you up to some new horizons that are broader. Certainly, it does all of those things. Here's my encouragement for you, Eva. Everything you've done up to this point is part of who you are today. Don't worry about going back and erasing even the things you may see as mistakes now. Even the mistakes that we make along the way are part of what got us to where we are today. I mean, I know a guy who went to law school and then he went to medical school because he thought, ooh, this was a mistake. But I mean, he was an attorney. He had a JD behind his name. Then he went to medical school a few years later. Now he has an MD. But that unique background will set him apart from all the other doctors he works with. When you say that you're going to get your degree as a nutritionist at this point, and your background in English and art really doesn't have much to do with that, um, you'll be surprised how that may show up 
how, how that may be a part of what you do. It may even be a part of when you open an office as a nutritionist, the decor that you use in your office may be stunning. It may be so appealing because of your artistic bent that it attracts people even beyond your knowledge in nutrition. When your knowledge in nutrition is just going to be part of it. People are going to have to be attracted to you, the person, and to, this is like a house has curb appeal. You know, when you drive up, it's not just how many square feet and what the amenities in the house are, but what does it look like? You know, what is the, the sidewalk like? You know, does it have running water feature outside? Does it have plants and bushes that are in bloom? And that's curb appeal. That's a big part of your success as a nutritionist anyway. So don't diminish the impact that your study in English and art may have. I mean, I know lots of women who went to college and then they became full-time moms without ever having a job outside the home. Is that training lost? No, not at all. When you heard me talk about, you know, I got my master's degree and then I immediately started selling used cars. <laughs> you know, what's up with that? How could I justify uh, the sacrifices that we made and the work that Joanne did during that period of time when I got my master's degree in clinical psychology and then I started selling cars? Well, believe me, you know, that was not lost. I mean, the time spent, the time spent going to college and what I learned in going to college in psychology, understanding people, reading them well, listening well. Do you think those things came in handy and selling cars? Yeah, absolutely. Plus the fact that my first year in selling cars, I probably made four times what I would have ever made as a counselor or using that degree directly. So there's certainly other benefits. So anyway, Eva, you're, you're going to school has been part of the clarifying process. To let you now see what you want to do. So you should be richer for having had the experience all along the way. Just look at it in that way. Well, hey, let me bring up a little music here to remind us. This is a, an opportunity for you to submit your questions if you want to. If you got a question, just go to the 48days.com site. Click on the podcast link there. You'll be able to submit a question there. I'd be happy to consider that for an upcoming podcast. Now, I had a whole bunch of you that have sent in, um, sent in your experiences about having gone to college. Now we'll have probably a special a radio show devoted just to that. You sharing your experiences about what you gained from going to college. And believe me, I got a whole bunch of you, you have PhDs and MDs and JDs and all who said it was worthless which is really interesting. I hope I didn't slant the question that much, but I'll continue to accumulate some of those. We'll share those in an upcoming show. This comes from Brent in um, Brisbane, Australia, who says, my question is related to the 48 days process. I currently live in Australia and I'll be moving to Canada 12 months from now. I'm going to use the 48 days process to ensure I line up a job shortly after my arrival in Canada, if not before. What do you recommend I do over the coming months before my job search really kicks into full gear? I feel it's too early to start contacting my list of ideal employers now, but I don't want to miss out on any potential opportunities. What do you think I should do? Well, yeah, that's, that's cool. You're going from Australia to Canada, big geographical move, not a problem at all. You can be prepared, go right into that. No problem. Here's what to do, though. Yeah, don't start 
a year in advance. Don't start six months in advance. Don't start contacting potential employers until 90 days before you will actually be available. So 90 days out, you can start that process, but not before then. It's really artificial. There's really no problem in doing even a long geographic move like that. In the meantime, what you can do the next nine months, you can be researching companies. You can be researching geographic areas that you want to explore when you get to Canada. So you can narrow down, create that list, know a lot about the companies that are going to be in your prospect list. You want to have 30 to 40 companies on that prospect list, just like I lay out in the job search process and 48 days to the work you love. So you can do all of that, but don't actually start making the contacts until 90 days out. Now, when we talk about making the contacts, I have a three-stage process. For that the first step is to send an introductory letter now this is something people seldom do but what it does it increases your top of mind positioning here's how that works we use a process of presenting yourself at least three times to any employer that you want to talk to so that means they get an introductory letter it requires nothing of them as the recipient at all it just says hey i'm going to be you know, in Canada, these, this date, we're going to be moving there. Be delighted to talk to you. You know, I know what your company does. I think my skills would add to what your company is trying to accomplish. I'll be contacting you within the next four or five days with my resume and cover letter. So all it does is just set the stage. It just puts your mind, your name in their awareness. So when the cover letter and resume comes in, they think, oh yeah, that's that guy. That's that gal that sent me a note a few days ago. Then you do the phone follow-up. So that's the third point of contact. In using that method, that's why the statistics that we have are typically about one out of 10 of those contacts leads to a job offer. Whereas if you're just sending out a resume and that's it, hoping that people respond, you still need to send out about 250 of those expecting to get a job offer from that method alone. So just adding the introduction letter and the phone follow-up reduces those numbers dramatically. You can do that and you can start that process about 90 days out and then really ramp it up when you hit about the 48-day point. So you know then you'll be there and be ready to go to work. Alan says, my wife, baby, and I currently live in Pamplona, Spain, where Hemingway wrote about the ferocious bull running festival. I will start working in fundraising for the medical school here shortly, but I don't want to be in fundraising long term. In truth, I don't really know what my dream job looks like. My question is, how do I get a job when we come back to the United States in two years? It's very hard to network and interview in person while living abroad, and I'm nervous about having two degrees in religion, even though I worked as a marketer for three years. How can I communicate the value of the experience that I'm getting here, become fluent in, in Spanish, learning how to sell myself, classes on Udemy.com, etc., and the perspective that living in a foreign country offers to recruiters or hiring managers? Love you and your podcast. From Brent, the address is Calle de Castillo de Maya, Pamplona, Navarra, Spain. Cool address. Well, I, I think it's amazing that you're getting the experience that you are. I think that does separate you from the pack. That does make you remarkable. That makes you stand out from the crowd. 
And by all means, you want to capitalize on it. You have that to your advantage when you are going to come back here and start looking for a position. So you have something way beyond what the next candidate may have or what the recent college graduate may have. And you want to exaggerate and emphasize that. I mean, you want to make that very, very clear. What you're talking about lends itself to having more what we call a functional resume rather than a chronological one. A chronological one just shows the places that you've worked, what your position titles were, blah, blah, blah. A functional one really focuses on areas of competence that you have. That's where you can then talk about your unique skills, the unique areas of competence that you have as a result of the experiences that, you, that you've got. The fact that you've got two degrees in religion, that's a minor issue. I mean, if you're, I don't know how old you are, Alan, but if you're 35 years old, I mean, what a company is going to look at is what have you done in the last five years? They're not going to look back, gee, what degree did you get 15 years ago or or 10 years ago? That's a really small issue. And you want to position it as such so that on your resume, don't have right at the top. uh, It still kills me that colleges encourage their graduates to do this where they have right at the top what their degree is. Well, that does two things. It does pigeonhole you because of the degree. You know, what if you have a degree in English and art? What the heck are you a candidate for? I mean, companies don't even know how to evaluate that. And then also, if it it shows their, you know, English and art, June 2014, they're like, wow, this person has no work experience. They're young. They got a degree that's useless. Why would we consider them next? Well, don't do that. Have at the top that you have fluency in multiple languages that you have experience in fundraising you know that you have taken other classes that you're great at sales and marketing oh and then incidentally at the bottom of the page here's your degree and when you got it yeah that's fine but by then someone will have already decided is this somebody that we even want to see or not the purpose of a resume you know, it's not to get you a job. It's to whet a person's appetite so they want to talk to you. So they want to see you, spend time with you, figure out what you're all about. Make sure that you do embrace all these things that you're talking about, the rich experience that you're having in Spain. Golly, I'd love to talk to somebody like you, you know, as opposed to somebody who's done nothing but just a more traditional path. Yeah, bring those things to light. Make sure that your resume is a sales brochure for where you want to go. Think about it as such. Look at the car ads. Being a car guy, I pay attention to the car ads on TV. I mean, some of them are just absolutely spectacular. It pulls you into an experience. They're not telling you how many miles per gallon the car gets or where the steel was first fabricated. I mean, that doesn't make, nobody cares. It's what kind of an experience am I going to have? So here, it's not the nuts and bolts of what you have in degrees. It's How are you, what kind of person are you? Are you somebody that we want to have on our team? Are you somebody who knows how to solve problems? Somebody who knows how to think creatively and innovatively, bring new solutions to the table. That's what you've got to convey. And if you do that, the rich experience you have to draw on that verifies and validates all that is going to make you a top candidate. All right, let me grab a couple more here. Mark says, is it possible to do more than one lesson a day? I was recently let go And finding that this time and 48 days has been a tremendous blessing as the Lord reveals to me my natural abilities and how he sees me. 
I'm very much excited about what the future holds, even though I have no idea at the moment what that might be. Thank you for a wonderful set of tools. Well, thanks for your note, Mark. I commend you on jumping right in there. You can accelerate the process. When I talk about 48 days, I mean, that's, that's kind of a benchmark. That's an average. I mean, I get funny notes from people all the time where they say, Hey, it only took me, you know, 46 days. And I only, only ate 46 of those 48 peppermint candies that you sent me. Well, I love to get those kind of notes. You make it work for you. The 48 days is really based on somebody having a job now and doing the job search. In addition to that, even if you're fully employed, I think 48 days is enough time to make that transition. If you are unemployed, you've been let go and your full focus is finding another position. Golly, you can do it in five days. I don't care. Just go through the process. Now, certainly when it comes to contacting companies and doing follow-up, there needs to be a little bit of time there. If you really need to condense the process and need a job today, then it's going to diminish the real opportunities that might be out there that would fit you. That, that meaning you can walk into places. I commented to join the other night. We were driving up a street here in Franklin, Tennessee, and I said, I can't believe how many signs are out hiring now. So you can walk into those places. I mean, if it's Red Lobster or Taco Bell or Heverty's Furniture, you can walk in there today and get a job, start tomorrow. But those typically are not the very best opportunities. Those are ones where you're going to be at $10, $15 an hour typically. Now, there's exceptions to that. Certainly, you know, 47% of jobs are still secured by people just walking in the front door. So it doesn't require an elaborate process. But if you're looking at a job where you expect to make seventy or $80,000 a year, then that's not likely to come by just walking in the door. So there, you really do need to have a series of steps that you walk through. And chances are, that's going to require 30 days at least. I mean, even when I talk about send out the cover letter and you tell the people in there that you can expect to hear from me four or five days from now, Boom. Then you go to the next step, send them the cover letter resume and you tell them I'm going to be following up with you next Thursday. And then you do that. And then the process of sending interviews, really, it's going to be 30 days. That's why 48 days is a nice round number to give you a little leeway there to make that work. So hopefully you've got a little margin here where you're not desperate to pay the electric bill next Friday. And if you are, go ahead and implement the 48 days, but certainly you can go through the lessons as quickly as you want to. You can go through all 12 chapters in the book immediately. You, you can just open the book and do read the part on job search if you want to, if that's most important to you. So there's no set in stone speed at which you can go through that. Same thing is true. You know, I, I, I chuckle when I see some of the people coming into our coaching mastery program Well, people coming into that, we have that set up where it's designed to be six to 12 months. Well, we have people that come into that and complete it in 30 days. We don't prevent them from doing that. They go through the disc certification, which is an online training program. They go through coaching 101, which we deliver using digital chalk, another online software program. You have to have four hours of coaching with me and you have to verify 40 hours of paid coaching. Well, you put all those components together. I don't care how fast you do that. Typically 
people take between six and 12 months. But if somebody wants to speed that up, accelerate that, get their certification so they can show that logo and start getting referrals from us much quicker than that, hey, bring it on. We welcome that. We don't artificially slow you down. This is not like college, you know, where they, oh, you have to be here for four years, even if you can complete the work in one. There was a guy recently who went through MIT they offer online courses. And so without making a big deal about how he was doing it, he accelerated the program and he completed what is typically a four-year degree in one year. I mean, he really nailed it. It was an awesome story. But we aren't we aren't looking over your shoulder. You're trying to slow you down. And certainly in the job search, the 48 days, no. If you do it in a shorter period of time, congratulations. Well, let me get one more. Tom says, I wanted to thank you for all you've given me. I started teaching a community education class Last night, and I gave each participant a copy of your book, 48 Days, the updated edition. I'm starting my speaking career and hoping to grow it with my upcoming book. I've been doing some coaching as well. My goal is to be making enough money to pay for my trip next year to coaching with excellence. Well, cool. Do you have any advice for finding speaking opportunities and coaching clients? Hoping to see you in 2015. Well, Tom, yeah, just like I was talking about a little bit ago, uh, the way you find coaching clients is to be very clear about your area of expertise. Don't be a generalist. The same thing is true in speaking. You're not a great speaker. That's not the real goal. Well, I, I, I'm, I'm kind of jumping over here. I'm, I'm painting that in an unrealistic picture. Yeah, you want to be a great speaker. But the fact that you're good with words and delivery does, is not what make people book you. They will book you because you have a very compelling message that you cannot contain. When I was... Uh, the young guy who a couple of years ago got caught on a boulder when he was rock climbing by himself and ultimately cut off his own arm. Well, Aaron Ralston, he's that guy. Um, he, I think we're going to have him come and speak to my mastermind, but he's got a very compelling story. That's why he's booked at high fees to share his story. It's not because he's just good at talking. So the same thing is true here. You get booked for coaching and speaking because you are an expert in that area. People want to get in to see you because you're the go-to guy. Well, hey, a couple other things here before we wrap up. We've still got running our 48 Days Countdown. And that you can find that at 48days.com slash countdown. That's where you get 10 hardback books for $48. Not sure how many of those are left. We're getting down pretty low in the inventory, but a cool kind of thing we got going on. We had one teleseminar already on October 1st. The next one is going to be November 18th, where I'll come back and do the tail end of where you ought to be when you've gone through the 48 days process. So we'll have fun with that. Be delighted to have you join us for that. Again, remember what you can't do while smiling. David Schwartz, our quotation for today, try to feel defeated and smile big at the same time. You can't. A big smile gives you confidence, beats fear, rolls away worry, and defeats despondency. Hey, make that your theme for today and this week. Stay smiling. Stay smiling. That's what we, that, that'll help you so much in moving forward. You'll be blown away. Hey, thanks for being part of this community. I love this time every week when I have the privilege of opening up that email box where you've submitted your questions in here. The interesting questions we all are confronted with, but thanks for being open enough to share those with the rest of the community so we can unpack those together and together find or create work that is meaningful, fulfilling, and profitable. 